Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Modern Day Debate. We're we're a neutral platform that hosts debates on science, politics, and religion. If you'd like reminders of other controversial debates we have coming up, hit the subscribe button. This should be a good one. I'm excited to get this going. We have Trenton Maddox, who's the affirmative, and we have Jordan B., who's the dissent position. Our debate format is 10-minute openings and open in discussion for the rest of the way. So welcome, everyone, to Modern Day Debate. So Jordan or Trenton, would you guys like to start off with introductions about yourself? Tell everyone in the audience about your channel, what you're up to. So whoever wants to go first, go ahead. Sure. Um, My name's Trenton. Uh, I go by Splinters TW on Twitch and Splinters on YouTube. Um, I do, I talk about politics, but the focus of my content is usually like debate, debate reviews, debate styles, debate tactics, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm an ex-formal debater, so that's kind of my shtick. If you like me here today, be sure to check me out either on YouTube or on uh, Twitch, and um, I can deliver them more of that content. Uh, huge apologies ahead of time. I'm coming off of uh, a sickness. I'll try not to cough like during my opener, but if I cough a couple times, pardon me. Great. Thank you very much, Trent, um, for your yeah. introduction. Yeah, um, Jordan. Go ahead, Jonas. <laughs> I didn't mean to, uh, Am I good? good? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you're fine, man. Um, I'm Jordan B. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Jordan at Jordan B Videos. Um, Jordan B on YouTube. Um, I'm, you know, widely a part of the America First universe, the uh, paleo-conservative circles and right-wing Twitter, right-wing YouTube. Um, you can find me on DLive if you go to my YouTube channel, um, which you can find in the description of my Twitter uh, bio. Um, yeah, that's about it. You can find me Twitter, YouTube. Um, those are really the best places to get the quickest access to my content. So, yeah. Awesome. So let's get this going here. Uh, so Trenton, the floor is yours when you when on your first word, and uh, we'll have a t- briefly a ten minute opening, and then we'll get into open discussion. Go ahead. Okay, I will start now. So I'm going to start by talking about some fundamental values that we should keep in mind throughout the debate, as well as their importance. Then I'll run through a series of contentions, each of which will serve as an umbrella topic for a cluster of arguments therein. As a point of reference, whenever I cite something, you'll hear me drop the author and publishing date of the source in question. If you're interested in following along, I've dropped a Google Doc link in chat. Um, That doc contains this speech I'm giving, as well as a separate doc, which should include every source I plan on bringing up tonight. That said, on to the arguments. I want to first establish some common values that we should be looking to throughout this debate. After all, without some sort of value criterion, we don't really have a good way to evaluate the arguments made here today. In the interest of identifying common ground, I contend that the values we ought to maximize are those liberal democratic ideals that this country is founded on. 
the equality, pursuit of happiness, and fundamental freedoms that America has fought for time and time again and built the Western world upon. These are the same values we should seek to emulate in the rules and policies we enact. So when you analyze our arguments, look to whichever side is most effectively maximizing these values. That said, given the importance of these ideals, any obstacles we wish to place between an individual and their pursuit of happiness demands clear and great justification. Justification that, as you'll soon see, does not exist for the negative position. That brings me to contention one, zero downsides. With this contention, I want to preemptively debunk common misconceptions about the implications of allowing trans personnel to openly serve such that we can spend the rest of our time highlighting all the positives we get from making that allowance. Let's start with costs. A common concern of skeptics is that medical costs for trans personnel will make their allowance into the military too expensive. However, cost estimates deliver a price tag of about 2.4 to 8.4 million annually. While this may sound like a lot, in reality, it represents an exceedingly small proportion of spending, a 0.02% increase on the high end. Essentially, shavings on a penny. And that's all from Rand Corporation 2016. That said, what does have costs is implementing these exclusionary policies. For example, implementing Don't Ask, Don't Tell is estimated to have cost the U.S. Armed Forces between 290 to $500 million between 1993 and 2010. Even on the low end, that's about double the cost of the trans medical care skeptics are worried about. Senior officials had to spend time and resources investigating allegations of homosexuality and personnel that had received costly training, equipment, and transportation were discharged because their sexual orientation became known. Evidence moreover indicates that LGBT personnel leave organizations that pursue an exclusionary policy. Since the replacement of personnel is expensive, the armed forces may benefit from an environment which favors the retention of LGBT personnel. That's from the Hague Center for, for Strategic Studies 2014, which I'll refer to from here on as HCSS 14. On the topic of force readiness, it's oft worried that the inclusion of trans people will negatively impact this area. This concern, while well-intentioned, is nonetheless completely unfounded. Studies find that the readiness impact of transition-related treatment would lead to a loss of less than 0.0015% of total available labor years, and less than 0.1% of the force would seek gender transition-related treatment that would affect their ability to deploy. As a point of comparison, in the Army alone, approximately 50,000 active component personnel were ineligible to deploy in 2015 for various legal, medical, and administrative reasons. That is to say, a number amounting to around 14% of the active component is already routinely unavailable. So the impact trans personnel would have on readiness is essentially non-existent in the grand scheme of things. That's range 16. Another unfounded concern along these same lines is that of trans personnel disrupting unit cohesion. Rand 16 finds that evidence from foreign and US military has indicated no significant impact on unit cohesion or operational readiness as a result of allowing transgender personnel to serve. HCSS 14 confirms this saying, the presence of acknowledged LGBT individuals has no necessary effect on this cohesion. Expert interviews with high ranking military personnel from other nations show that repealing an exclusionary policy had no effect on high performing personnel. On the issue of inclusion bringing down recruitment or retention of personnel, HCSS 14 finds no evidence of this in other countries where exclusionary policies have been repealed, nor in the US following the abolishment of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. 
A final concern is that of trans personnel being a unique liability in the field as a result of any medical treatment they may be receiving. On this point, Megan Zetal, 2011, finds no exceptional increase in mortality, illness, or injury excepting those individuals who rely on ethanol estradiol who were found to possibly be at a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. However, it's worth noting that this compound is widely used in female birth control, which the military already provides to thousands of active duty personnel in the now. Now let's talk about some of the good that comes from lifting the span as we move into contention two, improved military efficacy. According to HCSS 14, morale is higher when people feel recognized and respected at work. Cohesion is improved when colleagues can communicate openly. Trust is enhanced when there is no suspicion that colleagues have something to hide. A policy of exclusion could mean that armed forces recruit and retain less qualified personnel. Environments which are inclusive have been linked to better mental health, improved well-being, and increased productivity. Palm Center 14 echoes this, saying, experiences of foreign military organizations that have adopted inclusive military indicate that, um, indicate that the US military allows that when the US military allows transgender personnel to serve, commanders will be better equipped to take care of service members and the 15,500 transgender individuals estimated to be serving currently will have greater access to healthcare and be better equipped to do their jobs. And this point of healthy work environments, it's worth mentioning that the status quo is anything but healthy. Secrets about sexual orientation and gender identity have enabled blackmail to take place in the armed forces. Sergeant Cooper Harris, a lesbian, described in an open letter how she was blackmailed to perform sexual favors for male colleagues in face of threats that the secret of her sexual orientation would be revealed. In 1985, seven British servicemen were charged for revealing classified information to Soviet agents after being blackmailed for attending homosexual parties. Siding with the negative on this issue means perpetuating an environment where this kind of coercion and these national security risks continue. HSCC 14 puts it best. An environment which accepts LGBT participation increases the likelihood of successfully addressing harassment. It's also important to remember that when leveraged properly, diversity in our armed forces represents a great potential asset. As, HS, as HCSS 14 points out, military planners acknowledge that diversity is critically important for defense organizations to survive and thrive in the 21st century security environment. As diversity becomes increasingly the norm, and as more and more militaries recognize their LGBT service members, diversity is increasingly viewed as a strategic asset to be managed in order to deliver maximum benefits for the military. Finally, contention three, normalization. In the social sciences, there's a well-known concept called the contact hypothesis. The idea is that prejudice can be reduced between groups through contact mainly by sharing the same space, goals, and institutions. However, even media exposure can, can, can contribute to this effect. That's from Rowitz et al. 2015 and Layens 2001. That being the case, we have every reason to believe that the inclusion of trans personnel in the military can not only help address the discrimination they face within that institution, but can help address transphobic sentiments writ large. HCSS 14 picks up on this, mentioning that, quote, a decline in negative attitudes towards LGBT people may also result in a decline in negative behavior based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Likewise, the negative position may trigger the inverse. When people see that our highest, most revered institutions treat trans individuals as second class citizens, blocking their right to their pursuit of happiness, they too may find themselves echoing those same discriminatory sentiments. This is key. 
Reducing discrimination is important because discrimination is deeply harmful to individuals. It places obstacles to their success, something we should be concerned with. As the more people succeed in our shared society, our shared economy, then the richer that economy and the richer our culture for it. We have so much to gain from lifting this ban with essentially zero downsides. To end things off, I wanna go back to those values I mentioned at the beginning. This issue speaks not just to those enshrined American values, but to core military principles. All military personnel should serve with honor and integrity, which means that they should not have to lie about who they are. All members of the military should be treated with respect. All persons capable of serving their country should be allowed to do so unless there's a compelling reason for prohibiting their service, which as I've unequivocally demonstrated, there isn't. And the military should not needlessly separate personnel who are willing and able to serve. Such policies fly in the face of everything we stand for. And I yield the remainder of my time. Nice. Thank you, Trenton, for your like, opening. Like good. And uh, yes, Jordan, uh, the floor is yours when you're on your first word, and you have about 10 minutes around that time, and then we'll get into open discussion. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to need. I have nothing um, pre-written. I don't really have anything I'm reading off of. I have a couple notes that I took, but um, there's a lot to unpack in what you said there, man. Um, your whole opening statement read as one big leftist pamphlet for why leftists should join the military to me. And I think what's important is when you're looking at the military, you're looking at a group of people that need to have a, a common goal. A common, you, you need to have a group of people that's ready to die for America at, a, at, at the drop of a hat. Um, and that's not saying that a transgender person isn't willing to do that, but I do think that there's something to be said in the military for excluding people for reasons that may not always seem fair. So a good example that I can think of is that in order to enter the military, you have to have an IQ of at least 83. That's what it basically comes down to when you take the test to enter the military. You, you basically have to have a, an IQ of 83. And I don't hear any leftists saying that there's something exclusionary or... Um, necessarily discriminatory about excluding people with an IQ below 83. What I think is interesting is that you'll say in the same breath that we're doing something wrong by excluding transgender people from the military. And what I'm saying is that I think, I think that there is something to be said for having sexuality not necessarily brought into the military, into the military force. And I think when someone enters the military and they're transgender, I think their sexuality is inherently a part of that. There's definitely um, an inkling of leftist ideology that comes along with you being transgender in the military because you're, you're, you're making that a part of your identity right there. So I, I think that there is something to be said for excluding these people. I think that we exclude people on a host of other factors, including visible tattoos, gauges in their ears, low IQ. There, is a, there are a myriad of reasons we exclude people from the military. And I think when you go back to the DSM as, as recently as the early 70s or late 60s, it's widely known that, that body dysmorphia is really the... the uh, the deciding factor when you're looking at transgenderism, these people can't, they don't really know what gender they are. Why would I entrust someone with a mental illness with a gun 
6,000 miles away. I agree, but I'm, I'm pro-military. I'm as pro-military as the next guy. I have respect for the institution and I don't want it to become some breeding ground for leftist ideology, which it is becoming. You cited a lot of studies there that say that, well, transgender people perform just as well in the military, if not better. But here's the thing. This entire institution, the army, the armed forces, they're already on a crusade towards leftism. It's diversity. Diver they have entire commercials where the left is saying, diversity is our strength in the military. Why is that even an why is that even something that we're looking at? My my main concern is whether or not this country is going to be safe. Not do we have the right proportions of LGBTQIA plus, Black, Hispanic, transgender Asians. That's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at is this country going to be safe and, and do these people have the qualifications necessary to get into the military. Now, if someone was to pass all the necessary requirements to get into the army, let's say all the physical requirements, that's fine. But what I'm saying is that I don't like, I don't like the concept of someone coming into the military and that being their entire identity is their transgenderism. It's like they're there for the sake of being there almost. And it's like something feels off. I look at the previous generations of uh, our armed services. These were some of the best men of all time, the guys who stormed Normandy. It's very funny that that wasn't a big talking point back then. We just had the best, we had the best people in the military. Now, what we're seeing is people who, frankly, could they really be a part of the military back then? Not really. Not really. These people that we have now that we're breeding into the military, these people couldn't hold a candle to our grandparents in the military. Do you think that, uh, and I know, I mean, you just read a ton of studies. That's fine. I respect data research. But what I'm saying is that there is definitely an inkling of weakness in the military. And I really don't see our adversaries on a world stage taking us seriously when our whole mission isn't protecting the country. It's not advocating our interests. It's basically being as global homo as we can as an institution, as an army force, as a military force. We're supposed to be the world's number one military. And instead of doing that, we're hanging rainbow flags outside of our embassies across the world. That's not what I'm paying my tax dollars for when I fund the military. That's a joke. I want a safe country. I don't want a leftist pamphlet being handed out around the world. That's what, that's what the global homo movement is. I don't want to reinforce these values. And I think there is something to be said when you look at the military. It's about what values are you projecting on the world? Is, the, is the, the hill that we're willing to die on that we accept gays and lesbians into the military? No, I want a, a strong military force. And it's actually similar in some ways to allowing women into the military. And I think it's a little bit different here because there's obvious differences between being assigned sex at, at birth, blah, blah, blah. But what I'm saying is that it's different or it's similar in so far as we actually lower the requirements for women. We lower the requirements for them to enter the military. Why would I want someone who's not able to perform the basic functions that their male counterpart is able to perform when we could just have men and exclude women or just keep the standards the same and you would have people that are able to, to complete the same goals by the same metrics. So it, it's, it's oddly similar, actually, and I don't like the, uh, the leftist propaganda entering uh, our military, frankly. So 
Great. Thank you for your opening. Now we'll go into open discussion. And yeah, you guys could just go when you just get going here. Awesome. Um, so like I have a couple of questions about like just respond to the rebuttals you bring up. But first, I kind of want to get this out of the way. So like, do, do we agree then? Because I heard you mention on there, like if somebody passes all the qualifications, like you don't have a problem with them. So I guess if we, you know, currently the Department of Defense Instruction 1300.28 uh, is what is basically said that if, if you have a history of gender dysphoria, then you're disqualified unless like a bajillion conditions are met that pretty much nobody meets. So if we were to repeal that and trans people are allowed to serve, are you okay with trans people serving as long as they meet all of the other requirements that we lay out? I do kind of think that based in transgenderism is a hint of, um, of mental illness, to be honest with you. I do see a link there from the studies I've read that there is a link of mental illness, hence the suicide rates among the transgender community who are able to successfully do sex reassignment surgery. The suicide rates later in life aren't really that much better than if they hadn't got the surgery in the first place. So that tells me that there is some kind of, there is a little bit of mental illness there. And I, I inherently don't trust that. And I also don't want sexualization brought into the military. Yeah, so um, is, okay. So it sounds, so the two rebuttals I heard there as to why you still wouldn't accept this person if they passed every other um, metric was that there was some mental illness there because their suicide rates are high as well as you don't want sex being brought into the military. Is that correct? Are those the two, um, the two re rebuttals you brought up there? Yeah, sure. Okay. So I want to uh, attack the mental illness one first, right? So- Wasn't like body dysmorphia part of the DSM until like the late 60s, early 70s? I mean, yeah, transgenderism so and body dysmorphia are, are tied pretty. So body dysmorphia, as far as I'm aware, body dysmorphia and gender dysphoria are like two like different things. And usually when we're talking about trans people, we're talking about gender dysphoria, right? Um, and this is something, uh, this goes to, to, okay, one thing at a time, I guess. So the first thing I want to say is that the idea that there's mental illness, um, that being trans means being inherently mentally ill is not true. Um, gender dysphoria is a mental illness. And one of the, 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 three, the three major prescriptions for that are depending on, you know, what you need is case by case, but usually it's one of or a combination of um, psychological counseling, um, medical prescription, usually something like hormone therapy, as well, and sometimes like physical surgical transition, right? And what we see is that a lot of people, when they go through these treatments, they no longer experience gender dysphoria. That is to say, they're no longer suffering from the mental illness, right? So that's just to address the illness point. But um, to address the suicide point attached to it, the it's there is ample literature on this. The suicide rate among like uh, trans people is not any result of being of inherently being trans. It's usually due to the discrimination that trans people See, face that, in their societies. I, I knew that you were going to use that argument. Yep, and I'll you... link an article for it. I just linked in the YouTube sure, chat and I can link sure, it in the Zoom chat. Sure, but but. Again, it goes back to, yeah, you have a good study that points to the outcome that you want, but don't you think that as a society in 2020, we've gone out of our way more than any society before right now to accommodate for trans people and that's not helping their suicide rates at all? Like well, clearly like not, otherwise we wouldn't have this debate, right? If we were well, going out of our way to accommodate them, we wouldn't have a trans military bed, Well, right? indul <laughs> indulging in someone's fantasies usually isn't, isn't always the best way to make sure that they're healthy. You so know. how is it indulging in somebody's fantasies if we 
already established that gender dysphoria is a real illness of which the prescription is you either social or physical transitioning or HRT or counseling, right? Yeah. How is that indulging in a fantasy? Well, a similar, a similar example I would use would be like if, and I hate using this because it's kind of dumbed down from like Stephen Crowder types, but it's like if a five-year-old came up to me and said, I'm Batman, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make their entire existence. Oh, you're Batman. I'm going to get you the costume. I'm going to pretend, I will call you Batman and you're Batman. And I'm hateful if I don't call you Batman. Okay, so you're you moving to, to another treat. argument here, which is gender and sex are the same thing, right? Sure, yeah. Okay. I'll, well, I'm talking about the military, but I don't, I don't, aren't, isn't gender and sex the same thing over like 99.5% of the time? Aren't those two generally linked? Um, no. So usually, I mean, like a kind of how you define like sex or whether or not sex or gender is important sometimes depends on the context. But um, generally speaking, the medical consensus across most, you know, liberal democratic developed nations and most uh, uh, medical communities is that gender and sex are two like distinctly different things. One relating to um, uh, a set of like roles and norms that uh, you are assigned uh, by your respective society based on your genitalia and one being more directly related to that genitalia, right? Like these are, the consensus on this is like relatively broad that these are different things. Sure. But don't you think that there's something to be said for us as, a, as I hate the meme again, as a society, we keep doubling down on these things. And I feel like it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy where the more we keep talking about transgenderism, and the more we keep bringing homosexuality or gender roles and all this stuff to the forefront in Hollywood, mainstream media, everything, don't you think that these things end up leading to children maybe being like, oh, wait, actually, I never thought about that. Maybe, maybe there's truth there. Maybe I am a boy when I'm really a girl. I think the more we talk about, I don't know that you'll agree here because I'm, really, I'm a really strong traditionalist, but I think the more we get away from traditionalist roles, I think the more you're going to see these kind of outcomes where it's like, oh, shoot, we've been talking about transgenderism nonstop for the last 20 years. Gee, I wonder why we have a huge uptick in transgender kids. And okay. it's like, I, I really feel like there's something to be said for kind of the framing of these conversations. So I definitely think it's true that as you talk about a certain identity being okay and acceptable, of course, more people are going to openly identify as it right obviously because the stigma is no longer there people don't have to stay in the closet um the, the two things i want to say on that are one i'm not even necessarily sure like i don't see the negatives of that happening but more importantly i don't even want to take the conversation there because i really want to focus on the issue of today's debate which is like transitional military, military. so see, if we're talking about traditionalist roles i think what i want to hear specifically from you is the negatives of allowing trans people in the military why that is bad well i think what's important here is to look at how this is basically um it's kind of an offshoot the military issue is an offshoot of where we're at morally again in 2020 and where the social conversation is because you don't have this conversation without widespread acceptance of homosexuals, gay people, lesbians, transgender people in general, mm -hmm. just, just in the same way that you don't get rid of don't ask, don't tell if homosexuality doesn't become normalized. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, it's, it's almost <laughs> like we're looking at an offspring issue. Now, you know, it's, it's really tough for me to make the argument 
as a society, we've normalized gay marriage and it's ubiquitous, but they can't serve in the military. Once you get one, you get the other. I'm basically coming at the root and saying that social stigmas exist for a reason, social shaming exists for a reason, and that maybe not every, um, I'm not gonna say that word, uh, not, maybe not every person who was maybe sh uh, shoved into the corner in terms of social status because of their proclivities or whatever, maybe not every person deserves equal standing and equal say in the community. That's you all are I'm saying. absolutely correct that all of our social stigmas exist for reasons. The question is for each one, is that reason good? And what I think I've demonstrated in my opening and I will, you know, I'm here to defend this whole debate is this stigma is bad. And there is nothing that we gain from it and a lot that we lose. I don't really see that. What are we? What What do you think we're losing by not having transgender people in the military? Yeah. So um, there's like some explicit. I actually negatives. do want to hear that. I do. Yeah. Want to so that. there's some explicit negatives, and then there's some opportunity costs, right? Okay. So some of the explicit negatives is that while we have more normalized trans people in our society, we have not. We are not there, right? Like we absolutely made progress, but we got a long way to go. And when we have our highest, most revered institutions, which in America, the, the military is up there, right. and the institutions are openly adopting discriminatory policies based on identity, based on a class of people, demogra a demographic of people, that has a trickle-down effect. And the same way if any high up revered pol political office were to hold these ideas, right? So there's an explicitly negative impact there. There are some opportunity cost negatives as well. One of these opportunity costs, actually, I don't even, hold on, just more explicit negatives. Another explicit negative I brought up in my opening is the fact that no matter what we do, ban or no ban, there are gonna be one, trans people who wanna die for their country or wanna lay their life on the line, wanna go fight for freedom and for the American values, right? And these people are gonna be in the closet and they're gonna go serve, okay? No matter what we do, this is gonna happen. And what happens is these people get into the military and they have to stay closeted the whole time, which means that they're not as effective as they could otherwise be. But more importantly, it means that when discriminatory people find out about their, uh, their uh, gender identity, um, this can put them in positions of danger and can actually create like national security issues, right? And we can say, oh, well, then they, they just shouldn't have joined the military then if they're going to be a national security liability. But the fact is, we can't stop people from joining. We can't weed out every single trans person if yeah. we want to. These people are going to be in the military. So we should create institutions that support them, right? That accept them in the military. So if somebody comes to them and tries to blackmail them, like what happened, uh, to Sergeant Cooper Harris, as I read in my opening, then that these people can go to the institution and say, I am being coerced, right? Rather than us creating these situations where people get harmed and where national security issues occur. So I'll give you a chance to respond to that before I go to the opportunity well, costs. Well, what I would say is that I think it's funny that you're focusing on this as the one disqualifying factor that's the hill that you're willing to die on. People are disqualified from military service for having horrible debt to income ratio. People are disqualified from the military for having visible tattoos. People are disqualified from the military for having visible gauges in their ears. Where is your movement saying we must free the gauge wearers, free the visible tattoo wearers? It's just funny to me that there are much more arbitrary lines that are being drawn against people. Like, who's to say that someone who has a tattoo on their forearm 
isn't as willing to die for the country as someone who made their gender male to female or vice versa. It's just funny that this is like the one thing. So then by that logic, you actually, you think there should be no standards for you ever having served in the military. No, my logic is that standards should be justified, right? It might be, it might be Jordan that we go and look and holy cow, people with gauges, they are just so incredibly ineffective in the military. They're a drain. And maybe that stigma is justified. Maybe it's not. The reason I'm not dying on the hill today, the reason I didn't bring it up is because our topic was trans people. If we wanted to debate people is with that- tattoos or people or the 84 IQ or something, we could mm-hmm. debate that. Those might be justified. They might not. But I don't know enough about those to debate that right now. Okay, but I, I could die on those hills. That's, if I con- that's convenient that with those, with those, you're like, I just don't know enough of the facts. It's very simple. If you have an IQ below, low 83 you can't serve in the military that sounds pretty prejudiced to low iq people to me but so we're not having that conversation it is prejudice but it's it it, it could be justified prejudice right if people with an okay, iq well, lower than 84 if people Steel with an makes... iq lower than 84 are a detriment or a liability then that would be a, a justified prejudice if okay. they are not a detriment or liability it would be unjustified i'm consistent that's I, I get what you're saying, but you're not acknowledging that there are valid points that I might have about the mental capacity or the mental stability of someone who doesn't know if they're a man or a woman to holding an M16 and operating sure. missiles. We, and we can talk about that. We can engage with that point. There's well, just been a lot we haven't gotten to it yet. That's as far as that point, I agree that somebody actively experiencing gender dysphoria probably shouldn't be serving, right? But that's that's nobody is going to try and push that. Okay. What we're talking about, we're speaking largely is the current ban in place by the, the current policy of the DOD is people who even have a history of gender dysphoria, right? So we can have a trans person that when they were 22, they experienced gender dysphoria and they realized that I think, I think I'm trans. I need to, you know, go through these steps. They spend some time on HRT. Maybe they physically transition through surgery and when, by the time they're 26, they've been gender dysphoria free for years, right? Because they received the treatment they need. That person should be able to serve, no? These are problems that I don't want to have to deal with in a military setting. Why would the military need to take on the baggage of someone's mental capacity of, well, at 22, they were they didn't know who they were. But at 26, man, they're, they're an upstanding citizen. Dude, this is the military. This ain't the... This ain't your local McDonald's. This isn't your Starbucks. This is the military. What this baggage is... are they taking on? If the person is cured by the time they enlist, what is the baggage? Admitted mental illness. What you just said, you said that, well, earlier they thought they were ill and then we came back and visited them five years later and they're fine. But they're Why? not mentally ill anymore. <laughs> What's the baggage? What does the military have to deal with? If, if this person passes all the qualifications, clearly then there's no baggage there. If you don't know what gender you are, I don't need you operating uh, multi-million dollar missile systems. I agree, but they've transitioned. They know what gender they are. They've decided they're no longer experiencing dysphoria. Well, they, well, they don't know what God gave them when they were born. Well, wait, so oh, hold on. Does every person in the military need to be, believe in God as well? No, no. They just need to accept God's law and, and accept that they were born with the parts that God gave them. And okay. if you don't know the answer to that, then I'm sorry, I can't help you. you know? so like, this is definitely outside the scope of the argument to go into the impacts gonna... of making um, our military theocratic or something. I'm not, well, we should. So I'm just going to I'm going to try and move on. But just to speak on this point, the idea that be, we would restrict we the military enlistment. Monarchy. 
the idea that we should restrict military enlistment to specific um, religious demographics. Oh, I never said that. Well, you just, you're excluding all atheists, right? So no. you're, you are restricted good, to at least religious people. There's good atheists out there. Sam Harris. Then like why did guy. you just say that an issue with trans people is they don't know what God gave them? I'm troll. I was trolling you a little bit. Calm down. Calm okay. down. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I came for like a relatively like good faith debate. So but no, no, I'm, my I'm troll radar isn't turned on. I'm just, I'm messing with you a little bit, but I do think there's something to be said for, um, for someone who does someone who doesn't have that connection to reality where they're not attached to their gender enough. I just don't, I don't trust them with high capacity missile and weapon systems. I just don't, this is the military. This isn't the DNC. This isn't um, a diversity group on campus. This is the military. Okay. And I know I keep saying that, but there's something to be said for that. No, I get and it. Actually, and actually I saw a lot of the comments pre-debate on the, um, on the modern modern day debates Twitter account, they were saying, there were a few people that were saying, well, have either of these guys served? And how do I know that they have respect for the institution of the military? I have the ultimate respect for the military. I value it so much that I think what our mission is, is important. And if we're using our leverage and our capital as the leading military force in the world, I really don't want that to be used to try to interject gay and LGBTQIA plus people into the military, much less flying gay flags at all of our at all of our embassies across the world. So, I don't want. We don't need to be a political project. We need to be having the most effective military force that we can have on the planet. Not accepting people in just because. Well, because current year, and that's kind of what we're doing. So there are two things here. Um, the first one is when you say that you don't want these people in the military when they have the separation from reality. There's a baked in assumption there that this, that gender dysphoria and the prescriptions for gender dysphoria are like invalid or unsound or something, which isn't true. Um, that combined with the fact that you still believe these people are somehow hazardous or detrimental to military efficacy. Jordan, the only person here is disconnected from reality is you. I've read so many sources. I can read more. We can talk more. The consensus is here. These people do not have any negative impact on military readiness, on unit cohesion, on costs. There's absolutely no downsides. The only one disconnected from reality is you when you're telling me that you don't want them in the military because you don't trust them. You don't think they're going to be able to operate at like the so standards of the military. So do you think that there are any um, justifiable disqualifications from the military? Sure. I think a justifiable- like what? What's a justifiable one for you? A justifiable qualification for the military is an inability to perform your duties. So, for okay. example, if somebody tries to, um, if somebody with no limbs wanted to sign up for the military, I imagine that he would be disqualified for most positions and justifiably so. Now, if there's some position in the military that he can fulfill to like the whatever level we need fulfilled without any limbs, then like by all means, like he can come in. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a funny Reddit tier meme, but what I'm saying is when the army is instituting policies that say that if you have a certain high, if you have a certain debt to income ratio, you can't join the military. Why do you think they would do something like that? Do they hate poor people? Um, Maybe, I don't know. I'd have to go look. Maybe it's justified, maybe it's not. Oh, so you think the army could actually be a scheme to keep poor people out for some reason? Why else would they do that? Or do you think that maybe there's something to be said for some of their qualifications that we don't see on the other end? Another example, 
why would they disallow people? If, if, what you have to think about is if the army is this institution that wants as many people as they can on any given day to join it, right? Do we agree mm-hmm. with that framing? The army uh, wants, as, the in, in theory, they want as many people in their institution as they can get. Sure. Right. Why would they exclude people who maybe have a tattoo on their left hand of a smiley face or like a little Bible inscription right here? It completely depends from thing to thing. There are so many laws in towns and cities and states and even on the federal level so, across so America funny, that are funny. leftovers. Of, well, I'm but trying to answer funny. a question, so let me answer it first, right? There are an abundance so of laws and policies that are a leftover of um, like the, the massive power that like Christians and evangelicals wielded in America for a long time. Um, some of those policies are good. Some of those are bad. Some of them have been repealed because they're bad. Some of them are bad and they're still there right? Because the political will isn't there to get rid of them. When it comes to military policies, there are plenty of standards that you're talking about that might be justified. There are plenty of standards that are probably not justified. I can't speak to all of those. We're talking about this policy. But I'm going to ask you to go a little standard deviation high IQ here. What I'm, what I'm saying is that it actually supersedes that. What I'm talking about is whether or not there are legitimate disqualifications from the military to not allow you to serve. Yeah, I already what said there are. What you're saying is that, well, what, what I'm hearing is you're saying the only discriminatory one is is trans disqualification, if that were in place. Everything That's else would be legitimate. The, the IQ one might be discriminatory. I can't tell if it's discriminatory until I go and I see if there's a justification for it. If there's a justification for it, it's not really discriminatory or we would call it justified discrimination, right? So, so is, there a, is there an example in your mind where there could be a justified disqualification for someone who's trans? Um, yeah, or but it probably all, wouldn't. No, there could be, it but would, it, pro- it wouldn't, wouldn't be on the basis of the trans. It well, wouldn't be that they're trans. If somebody is trans, well, it would be the gender dysphoria, right? If somebody is in the process of transitioning or they have, let's say somebody has um, socially transitioned, right? They haven't undergone surgery or anything, but they've, you know, they've spoken to their friends and their family and they said, I'd like you to refer to me by these pronouns. I'm going to start HRT. Um, this person, we would consider them trans. If they're still experiencing gender dysphoria such that they can't perform their duties adequately, I would, I would disqualify them based on that. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. The people we're talking would... about are people who aren't experiencing mental illness, people who are passing the qualifications, people who are able to perform their duties. Chad is asking me, would I, would I refuse to help a trans service person in an emergency? Of course not. I would never, no, I wouldn't. Wait, did I ask that? No, no, not you, but I just keep seeing that question getting, uh, getting a little oh. spammed here, but yeah, no, I would never, I would never refuse service to someone but um i don't know man it really feels like and i know you people on your side kind of hate this uh this line of thinking but it does feel like a slippery slope where we're not letting in we're not promoting attracting the uh the most physically prepared it's it feels like we're a corporation who's trying to let in everything that the left says are, or every, all the people that the left says are in oppressed communities. We're, we're promoting diversity and inclusion in the military. We're promoting LGBTQIA plus people. 
really, I don't care about that. I care about the best and the brightest. And I really don't think that the people that we're advocating for joining the military now are the kind of people that storm the beaches of Normandy and would be able to do the great things that the military used to do. It feels much more like a leftist cause right now rather than a let's get something done. And that's how America feels as a whole to me right now. So there's a couple points here. So the first is this idea that we're lowering qualifications for people. I don't know where I advocated for lowering the qualifications for trans people. Well, the trans one is a little different. What I would say is that that's very specific to um, to women in the military, which I'm sure you're wholeheartedly for, I'm sure. But the women example is actually interesting because there are different qualifications for women in the military as opposed to men. They're lower, they're, they're notably lower. So that's like the very first thing. It's like, it started kind of with women in the military and then it was gays in the military. And then it was, well, actually it's just don't ask, don't tell. And actually that's oppressive. And then actually we're, we're actually gonna promote diversity and LGBTQIA plus members into the military. It's like, there's no, there's no stopping point. Leftism has no, no limiting principle. Sure. So it's like, so... How, how much longer until it's like, we advocate for wheelchair users in the military. It's like, I mean, but, but I know that sounds ridiculous, but oh, what I'm funny. saying is that, that that's actually an embodiment of, there's no, there's no limiting principle to leftism. Like what, what's the group where you're like, actually, we can't have any of them in the military. Sure. So I, I feel like I've said this like nine times, but like, we'll, we'll keep going. We'll keep saying it again. This isn't a slippery slope. A slippery slope occurs when you cross a line without drawing a new one, right? I've drawn the line. It's like several times in this debate. The line is whether or not these people can adequately perform the duties that we need them to perform without incurring some great cost upon the institution, right? I've demonstrated that trans people writ large, as long as they're not like experiencing gender dysphoria actively or something, can perform the duties we need them to perform and do not incur any kind of great cost. The wheelchair thing is such a good example because it's the same as the limbless example I brought up earlier. If, if there are, we can think of a billion duties in the military that a wheelchair person, a person who's bound into a wheelchair probably can't do, right? And we would say that they are justifiably disqualified from those tasks. But we can also think of plenty that they can, right? And for those jobs, like I would say, like, go ahead, allow them. And that's because I have a consistent line. This isn't a slippery slope. The okay. line is, can you perform your duties? So you would let open white supremacists operate in the military? If, there, if, if an open, here's the thing. If oh. an openly white supremacist... <laughs> I'm attempting to explain why this example doesn't meet the line that I've drawn, right? Because I'm consistent on this. The thing about openly white supremacists is you'll remember that I said that the two conditions here are that they can adequately perform their tasks without incurring great costs on the institution. In openly white supremacists, I find it very difficult to imagine that you would be able to be openly white supremacist in an institution like the military without incurring some great costs on it, right? I kind of think that that would affect unit cohesion. I think that that kind of might create some issues with uh, other people in your unit and other pe your, your superiors and you know, uh, officers underneath you. Now, if 
by some because we can we can uh, play like imagined worlds right if we have an imaginary world where somebody is openly white supremacist and it has zero negative impacts on the military then like mm -hmm. and they can perform their duties yeah sure fine but like i would challenge you to show me that right very you, you're training to be the next destiny here that was a very destiny type answer i like that um yeah so i mean i guess so if someone had like the kkk tattoo on their forearm it's like well they're okay. They, they can serve the functions of the military. They're good to join. That's if they okay can serve you. the functions of the military and they aren't having a negative impact on like anything else, it's probably fine. The I thing that's important to remember here, though, is that um, that we would want to consider, though, when it comes to letting certain ideologies like in is that, like I said, these are our highest and most severe institutions and the the image that they have trickles down on the rest of society. And I'm concerned about the negative impacts of having like a bunch of openly white supremacists like running around in these highest institutions and that being like projected to like the rest of society, right? You think that's if that somehow had no negative impacts then like sure, but I would think it would, right? You think that's like a widespread problem in our institutions is openly white supremacists? Um, I can't think of that many openly white supremacists that are in like um, our highest institutions. Like most of these people are either not white supremacists or they're pretty closeted. Interesting. Yeah, white supremacy is hiding everywhere. I don't know. Um, I didn't say it. I just if they're there, they're they, they're closeted. I don't know if they're rampant or not. But probably the means point it's is not they're there. not openly. It sounds like there's definitely much more of a uh, a faction of the left that's pushing diversity. LGBTQIA plus issues, leftism onto the public than there is vice versa. Or do you yeah, I'm not sure what that has to do with the trans people in the military. But I think that's, that's actually a, uh, a good seed issue. I think that that's actually a, uh, an outgrowth of that. I think that as you see more of the left infiltrating the institutions of power, academia, military journalism, you name it, you're going to see more of these hot, but not hot button issues, but you're going to see more um, promotional videos like from the army talking about how diversity is our greatest strength as far as our projection of power on the world goes. Sure. I'm not even necessarily sure how like pushy or widespread like this is with the guys and so we can play this, right? So if this is true, I'll bite the bullet. Sure. This is true. There's leftist propaganda being pushed or LGBTQ propaganda being pushed throughout uh, society and the military. Demonstrate to me how this negatively impacts military readiness, unit cohesion, financial costs. Like, show me the negatives here. Yeah. Um, do you know who, um, what's his name? The book Bowling Alone. Nope. Robert Francis. Wait, um, I think I've heard of this. I don't think I've heard of You know this. what I mean? Bowling, um, hold on. Robert Putnam, sorry. Harvard, Harvard sociologist. Bowling Alone, he details, um, the downside of diversity in any given social setting. So basically he looked at America um, post 1965 Hart Seller Act, and he looked at how it negatively impacted civil engagement in America in the 80s through the 2000s. Um, and communities that were most directly impacted by diversity, they didn't deteriorate or fall into the abyss or anything, but it really led to a total atomization of the individual it led to a lack of civil engagement, lack of voting, a little bit more crime in general. But as a whole, diversity is not a strength. But when you have the army promoting on their Twitter account saying, we are devoting this entire day or this entire month to diversity, 
I'm telling you that that is a great example of leftism infecting our institutions, our highest ones like military. The military is there to protect us. Why the hell is diversity even on their radar? Why the hell is your local police department talking about how diversity is something they're committed to? Either it's A, to appease the minority groups that are causing the most crime, or B, it's to, I don't know, what diversity decreases crime. You'd have to make some long-winded argument about that. But what I'm saying is that when you're quoting the generals and saying, well, the general said that allowing transgender people to serve isn't a bad thing. It's like, well, those are the same generals that tell me that diversity makes our army stronger. When I can read plenty of books that tell me that diversity makes me weaker in my community and in any institution. Sure. It's like your marriage, your relationship. It's, this is a, frankly a Tucker Carlson example, but in your marriage or your relationship, do you, do you get along better the less you have in common? No, you get along when you have a shared history. And I promise you that most of these transgender people, granted, I will admit that they are joining the military, but I really don't think that they, that they love the founders. You know, you mentioned the founders. You said that, that this is what they would have wanted. You think Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and James Madison thought that the hill to die on was allowing transgender people to serve in the military you think that that's right. what i have to about? stop you because there's like that's too ridiculous. many points you're bringing up i ha- and if i let you keep going i'm gonna lose track of them um oh god i might have already okay so like the first thing this is diversity like this golden solution to all of our problems no absolutely not okay Precise anybody selection. anybody acting like it is is kidding themselves right however it's entirely possible to have a net good thing that has bad aspects Right. Why is diversity it's also next- possible that diversity, depending on the context, is good or bad. There are situations where diversity is bad. There are situations where diversity is good. I want to talk about the military. I don't know about these other situations you're talking about because I didn't research for that because today is about the military. For the military, we have, like, like you said, generals, but also peer-reviewed, uh, peer-reviewed studies from policy think tanks that focus on matters of military and defense that are telling us that diversity has its uses, right? That it is an asset that can be leveraged if leveraged properly. So when you're saying, why is, what does diversity have to do with our defense? Why is military, why is the military pushing diversity? Well, because they think it's useful, right? We, we, unless, unless you want to go as far to say that the leftist like infiltration is so far that like all of the policy, all of these international policy think tanks and like all of these generals are all like compromised, then like fine, okay. But like at that point, you're engaging well, in a level of conspiracy that. Well, no, is- hold on, hold on. Wait, this is actually very important here. You're a social democrat, right? Yeah. Are you in? Aren't you inherently distrustful of powerful institutions? I mean, somewhat, yeah, sure. So then why am I the conspiracy theorist for saying that there is a power game in the military? So you understand that distrustful of powerful institutions does not necessarily mean that I must treat every distrustful institution as, or every institution as if it's like a conspiracy, so, right? So, so, so being distrustful only, the, means that the only, I'm skeptical? The only, the only ones that you're right about are the ones that you ideologically agree with. So if you agree with the military on their trans issue, then they're automatically right. But when no. I criticize the military for maybe having leftist agenda, I'm a conspiracy theorist. No, what it means is that when I'm deciding whether or not to trust or distrust an entity, there's a bar that I set. I set that bar just a little bit lower when it comes yeah. to like powerful institutions. It's but the fact is the bar. level of conspiracy that you're suggesting here, demand, 
like, dude, <laughs> the entire military institution is like a, a piece of leftist propaganda. You know, how, how many people in in the variety of, of positions of power that have to be compromised for that to happen? Listen, dude, like the, said- the bar for empirical evidence to get me to believe this, to get me to distrust or to, 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 to distrust. I could never distrust my military institutions. They tell me the facts. You sound like you sound like a boomer sitting on his recliner chair. I'm the one who's the skeptic. I'm the one who's distrustful of our powerful institutions. You're the one who takes what they tell you on CNN as fact, and you just say, yeah, why would they lie to me? <laughs> what am so I, one of those Alan Jonesers? When That's I'm judging you, man. whether or not the military is I'm sorry. Me, I don't trust what's coming from, I don't trust as much the military itself as I do the third party verification of that, right? So I actually didn't cite a single damn thing in my opening from the United States military. Every single thing I cited was from a policy think tank, one which was located in the US, right? The Rand Corporation, another two of which actually were located in Europe. These are international nonpartisan institutions that are verifying what the US military is saying. You know what that and, like? and the best part is that 18 other nations' militaries are cited in order to support my claims. So you- I saw that, I read that. Right, so you're telling me that almost 20 foreign nations' militaries in multiple international policy think tanks are all fallen prey to leftist propaganda? It's all the global conspiracy? I think that people in chat actually see this dichotomy for what it is. And I'm not trying to be mean to you here. You sound like the brainwashed one. You're the one who's saying, why would 18 Western governments lie to me? I'm the citizen. I vote. Dude, you got to wake up. Because I know the 18 governments you're talking about. <laughs> it's New Zealand, Australia, Israel. Uh, most of NATO, I think, let's transgender. Because I read that from the RAND study. I looked at the RAND study before mm-hmm. we started this. I read those 18 countries, and those are all Western nations. None of them are a part of the BRICS nations. None of them are uh, Brazil, Russia, um, India, China, or South Africa. They're not heterodox nations. They are a part of the Western empire. Oh, gee, why would the Western empire stand up for global homo and neoliberalism? I don't know. It must just be a coincidence. You're laughing at me for, for questioning the power structure when you are eating the power structure up with a fork and knife. It's like... it. Dude, I, I don't know how you're laughing at me here. Like, we're laughing at you. You're you're thinking that we're the crazy ones when we're like, man, it's kind of interesting that all these countries all stand up for the same thing and all hang the same rainbow flags outside of their embassies worldwide. <laughs> Must just be because they love us so much. Dude. Yeah, do dude. Think, like, <laughs> do you think it has anything to do with the fact that like the Western world was based on, I, was based on principles of like, individual liberty and being able to pursue the life you want to lead such that if people decide they want to lead a life uh, serving their country that we let them do it if you really want to get into that issue here's the thing yes they did want liberalism they wanted liberalism with strong borders and with no diversity if you ask the founding fathers what they thought the demographic i'm not talking about what the founding fathers wanted I'm talking about the principles that the Western world was built on, okay? The principles principles that the Constitution, uh, that are shining the Constitution, like they have evolved right over time. I would argue that the set of principles that the current like liberal democratic like sphere 
uh, relies upon are an evolution of you know, the founding fathers uh, values, sure, but like, they're certainly not the same. So I'm not talking about what Thomas Jefferson wanted. Well, I'm talking about these well, principles are, are the explanation you're looking for. Well, what's funny and is that now- They're much simpler and easier to believe explanation than the power structure is for some reason, somehow maintaining a global conspiracy that like, this is Occam's Occ 101, right? The explanation you're providing me is Occam infinitely was, more Occam, complicated Occam was with cringe. such a higher burden of proof as opposed to like, dog, maybe these countries just believe that people should be able to do what they want. <laughs> like, here's, thought about I, that? I think that's interesting. I think that you are basically, um, you're highlighting and maybe we just, maybe we just disagree here. I'm not a liberal and I don't even mean liberal in terms of like how boomers use it in terms of like liberal versus Republican. No, I don't mean that. I'm not a liberal in the, in the sense that I don't think that humanity has this endless progression. I'm a conservative true and like through and through. Sure. I think, I don't think that there is endless human progress. I think that that comes through salvation. I don't think we need to get to progressivism through diversity or any kinds of these measures. I really think none of this is relevant. <laughs> well, well, but you're my argument. I was think it's much more important. I, I so what's happening right now is I have given you um, an explanation for the behavior that we're seeing from these institutions and these governance. Right, the explanation I have given you is much easier to believe, which with a much uh, lower like a bar of execution right then the explanation you're giving me you're telling me that there is a global conspiracy of like leftist propaganda being upheld given all of the obstacles to that being pulled off all the people involved it is much harder to believe that than it is to believe the explanation i'm giving you if you want to believe your explanation that's fine but i want to make it clear to like the audience and everybody watching that like yeah. that's what's happening right now is yeah have no, a billion simpler easier to believe uh explanations that like make a little bit more sense and have a little bit more evidence behind them versus this global conspiracy and it makes it difficult for this debate to go on further because the only way to have like a reasonable sound debate is in, based off of empirical evidence and if you're going to discount any empirical evidence that i bring forward because it comes from this global in conspiratorial institution then i'm not really sure how we have a conversation sure i think it's a shame that you think that that it's a conspiracy that people in power would would conspire to um, maintain maintain and increase their wealth. Like I don't understand that how that's an incredibly dishonest dishonest framing. I'm not, I'm not saying that it is beyond belief that people in power act conspiratorial. Sure, that happens all. Well, the what time. else would you call? What I'm telling you is the conspiracy you're selling me is unbelievable. That the Western world finds it profitable to to double down on neoliberalism. That the Western world and all of the institutions therein are able to coordinate to such a degree that thousands of people are able to spread blatant misinformation without anybody whistleblowing. Well, I, yeah, that, I, that's, I, I that's really what you're telling know. you right now. I don't know how you couldn't believe that. I'm sure you believe. I'm, I, I, yeah, I don't really see how it's easy to to go forward here. I think I've I've laid out my case pretty well as far as why the Western mm -hmm. world stands to gain from neoliberalism and the continuance of progressivism. It's very easy to see. Why else, again, and I hate to come, I hate coming back to this example, why else would the US military drape the rainbow flag on all of its embassies during gay pride month? 
what does that gain? What strategic advantage does that gain us in Tehran, Iran, or in uh, in Seoul, South Korea? It's it strategic doesn't. advantage. Oh, advantage it there? does. It does. Oh, because yeah, we're one, gay. We're when the you gayest. when you look That's at horrible. American military action abroad throughout the majority of our history, but especially in like the past like hundred ish years, right? One of our obviously there are multiple strategic goals. Okay, one of them obviously is the preservation of the nation, right, and the preservation of American sovereignty. But fundamentally, one American goal that we have always had and that most of our allies have had is furthering ideas of liberal democracy, because we believe this is the best way to live, and we know that the more countries on the global stage are, li are liberal democracies, so, so the, the better, it, the easier it is for all of us to live liberal democratic lives and to be able to this. do whatever we want. So then by that logic, you supported George Bush's foreign policy initiatives in the Middle East when he said, we're going to spread democracy to Iraq. If that's what George Bush actually did and there was a plan for that, then I probably would support it. But that's not what happened. So George Bush's plan was going into Iraq, bombing the hell out of the country and walking away. It was, all, was, to, it was, all, it was all to spread democracy. It was all to spread democracy. So if, if that was his reasoning, you're for it, right? If he had a, if that was his reasoning. That's what it had, was. That was the mission statement behind was the operation. His and he had a plan to do so that multiple foreign policy experts looked at and said, yeah, this will allow us to like effectively spread Operation Iraqi Freedom, that's region, right. That's then right. absolutely it was I would support it. So but that's support, not what happened. That's not that's, what the plan was. There was no plan in Iraq. Go well, talk to go talk to funny. sitting senators right now who have funny. talked about that vote and said that there was never a plan from day one. Center leftists end up becoming neocons because your only worldview, the only thing that matters here is neoliberalism. It's spreading the current worldview that's that is uh, taking form in America. That's why I can ask you, Trenton. Who, when Bush was in office, I don't know how old you are, but when Bush was in office, you were probably like a pro-carry Democrat. But now, 12 years later or 20 years later, you're actually pro-Bush because he spread. I'm pro Bush. What about that? Made you think I was pro-Bush? I just told you. You that supported Bush didn't his have a policy plan. operations. Neocon. Neocon. He didn't. If he had a plan. Oh, so if, to do oh, it, so if he had was... a better. So if you had a better plan to institute homosexuality in Iraq, then you would have been for it. Like, Absolutely, hundred oh, percent. If well, if he right. if George Bush walked in, walked out, you know, into the, the press conference and, and with like twenty foreign policy advisors behind him and said, "Listen, guys, we're gonna do this plan. We're gonna put some boots on the ground in Iraq. And we're gonna make and them we're all gonna gay. get democracy, and gay people will be They're allowed to be, be gay." gay. It's and gonna be awesome. Trans people will allowed to be trans, and all the foreign policy experts are like, "This will work." Hell yeah, oh. dude! That guy would have had my vote for sure. You should be pro Iran. Then be pro Iran. No, Iran does. Iran doesn't do anything for individual liberty. Wow, Iran is. Iran has a higher transgender percentage of their population than we do in the U.S. They're ten percent trans what? over there. What does that have anything to do with it? You should be super pro Iran. Then you should be pro. Uh, Ahmadinejad. Can we go get stats on how those trans people are treated? <laughs> but and how other but, people are treated? Well, too? doesn't that give a little bit of uh, credence to my argument against diversity? Do you want to bring anti-LGBTQIA plus people into the Western world? So, generally speaking, 
my position when it comes to like that diversity is There's I like to take paradoxes. I, like to I don't take, think that you've uh, that you've really thought about no, your worldview representing. It, it's pretty easy to understand, right? So the idea is, you know, contact theory. I actually uh, brought this up in my opening speech, right? This is a pretty well-founded, well-understood concept in social sciences is you actually do want to bring these people into Western democracies. You do want to take these people who have these horrible opinions and you want to get them over here because the research shows the ample literature, when you take people with shitty ideas, you throw them in a room and outnumber them with people with good ideas that eventually they change their minds. That's true, but if you bring That's enough people, but, it, but here's the hole in your argument. If you bring enough people with the shitty ideas over, then they actually don't ever have to engage with the people with good ideas. They can just keep grouping up with people with the shitty Absolutely, ideas. Absolutely, but you're assuming yeah. a slippery slope that isn't there. We then what's your cup? We can what's your and say, okay, and it's funny, listen, it's so funny we will only accept X amount of people from like Iran or something, if but that's necessary. You would have to demonstrate to me that if you would have, you would have to demonstrate to me that, hey, Trenton, if we allow this level of immigration from Iran, then we're going to become a theocracy. If you can demonstrate to that to me, then well, I'll it's absolutely a paradox. draw the it's line. It's the paradox of the handful of sand. At what point do you not have a handful of sand anymore? And you take away one grain of sand. It's like, when do? what's the cutting point? What's the cutting off point? The cutting point is when you can demonstrate to me that a problem until I can is. Until I can show you a study from a leftist saying that, oh, actually, it's a problem now. I don't even care if it's a really? leftist as long as it's peer-reviewed. That's, that's what it usually comes out to. Can I ask you... Um, one question before we wrap yeah, up. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, do you, totally out of curiosity, what's your uh, background? Like, what's your racial makeup? Uh, white, something European. I think there's German in there. A lot of Dutch. I don't know. I'm part Dutch. I'm like half Dutch. Hey, Any, guys. Like, I don't mean to jump in there, but um, no clue, dude. we're going to get to Super Chats here in about 10 minutes-ish. If you guys want to conclude, get, uh, wrap this up here, and that'd be great. Sure. I just closing statement. Um, to wrap up real quick here. Listen, guys, I've linked, I'll do, I'll link a both again in chat for you guys. Um, that the only way that like you buy any of Jordan's arguments, uh, is if you believe in this global conspiracy, right? That's upheld by like hundreds of institutions around the world and like multiple countries, multiple militaries, many of which are barely allies, right? Like if, if you believe in the global conspiracy, then I'm sorry. I can't convince you like you are beyond the pale. Um, for anybody who doubts that and maybe does like care about fact-based empirical evidence, there's just nothing, nothing of substance here on the negative side, right? The literature is abundant. Trans people in the military has zero downsides. We incur next to no negative costs um, and we, we achieve a lot. We get a lot out of it. So uh that's what i have to say on that if anybody wants in a chat wants to talk more in depth about it feel free to hop over to my stream after this and i can answer some questions that we can go into depth awesome so if you want to have your concluding remark jordan go ahead um i don't have much to say i think that um it doesn't take a leap of faith to acknowledge that there is some type of conspiracy happening in the world as far as where we're headed right now it doesn't take believing in flat earth or the moon landing not happening i think it's actually pretty evident when you look at the trajectory that um, most institutions from media uh, academia hollywood um, social media platforms you can see the plot you can see the direction they're all headed it doesn't take some big document tying it all together to be one big room of 
the mustache twirling guys smoking big cigars, you see the worldview they have. You see where we're headed. And I think uh, transgenders in the military is just an offshoot of that. That's why I don't spend too much time thinking about that. Because, yeah, that's that's the obvious conclusion once you get to the level where we're at, once we've normalized not knowing what your gender is to the point that 14-year-olds are on Snapchat looking at stories talking about, well, I was dying and I thought I was a boy, but I'm a girl. We live in a sick society. We need to return to God, return to church, go to confession, become Catholic, ideally, Christian Catholic, some form of that. Let's get back to God. Let's get back to traditionalism. Sub to me on YouTube, Twitter is uh, Jordan B videos. And I had a good time talking to you, man. Great discussion, guys. It was very captivating and I'm sure the audience got a lot out of it. But now we're going to go into super chats and some, a lot of them are remarks and they could be trolling just to warn you guys. Um, <laughs> it's okay. So, um, yeah, we'll get into that. And what we'll do is we'll start, if, it, if it's aimed at the person, you that person will end with the the concluding um, statement on that question or remark. So, is that, do you guys understand that? Or does that make, does that make sense? <laughs> All right. The person that it's about responds last. Yeah, exactly. Okay, sounds good. Right. Is exactly. that right? Okay. Yep. <clears throat> so our first super chat okay. is from Sunflower for ten dollars. Thank you for your super chat, Sunflower. And he says being left-handed or gay has been historically stigmatized. This doesn't mean every simple novel characteristic of integrity trait that arises and spreads in a society is the result of destigmatization. So I think that was either one of you guys. Um, so I, I generally agree with him, right? Um, but we have to understand why, right? So I don't want to get, I'm not going to go crazy into philosophy here, but like I am a rule utilitarian. What that means is that when I'm deciding if a policy is good, I'm looking for rules that writ large work well. Yeah. So the rule that we're enshrining, right, with your, your hand comment or whatever, um, ostensibly is the rule that you are rejected from jobs that you cannot adequately fulfill, right? I don't think there's any problem with that rule, although to be fair, somebody who's only missing one hand probably could still do a lot. Um, this is different from the trans argument because when we're talking about trans people, the rule that we're enshrining is you cannot do this job because you're trans. Not because you can't perform your role, but because you're trans. Because as I've demonstrated, they can perform their role. So it's all about what rule we're enshrining and whether or not that rule is good. Can you reread the, can you reread the question for me? Yeah, right absolutely. So Sunflower says being left-handed or gay has been historically stigmatized. This doesn't mean every single novel characteristic or identity trait that arises and spread in a society is the result of destigmatization. Yeah, I think destigmatization and um, advocation, advocating for something are totally different. So whereas with left-handedness, maybe it was destigmatized and I have done a lot of reading because I am left-handed and um, 
what's the word? Um, sinister. The word sinister actually comes from the Latin word left-handed. So they're even built into the language of being left-handed. There's truth there that there was some stigmatization attached to it. But here's the thing. Ancient Rome didn't go about forcing everyone to be left-handed to make up for the stigmatization of previous uh, um, oppression of left-handers from three generations ago. That's what we're doing right now. So what we're doing, in my opinion, is instead of just destigmatizing homosexuality or, trans or transgenderism, we're actually making that the ideal thing, the preferred thing. And we're advocating for that and we're promoting it. No one's promoting left-handedness. They are promoting homosexuality and transgenderism. If you want a quick response, you go ahead, Trent, if you want to quickly respond to that. Um, I just, I guess I'll readdress the question because I actually think I misunderstood it. So like, I, was, I wasn't trying to say that what we do in the military is inherently responsible for like every stigma or destigma in the rest of society, right? Um, my only argument was that when we talk about institutions that we all revere and they're very powerful and they're very high up in our society as far as the way that we treat them and think about them, um, that those institutions have a lot of power in determining stigma, right? Whether that's stigmatizing or destigmatizing, they have a lot of power. Obviously, like getting trans people unbanned from the military is not gonna fix all trans stigma, right? But the argument is that it will. Um, you know, what will though? What will trigger? Uh, probably like the, the, the just destigmatizing as many institutions as possible, plus time are the two things that'll, that do it, right? Let them do whatever they want, and then they just won't kill themselves at such a high clip. Yeah, actually, yeah. If when people, generally speaking, when people aren't facing oppression and ridicule at like every turn, they want to live. Why else? Let me ask you this really quick. Why do you think black people have a lower suicide rate than transgender people? I don't know. I'd have to look into it. Well, thank you for your okay. thank you for addressing those. It's just interesting to me that if that if if, if 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 oppression means if oppression means higher suicide rates, I would think by your line of logic, black people should be the group killing themselves at the highest clip, right? Maybe there might be confounding variables. I have no idea. I haven't looked into it. I can't speak on things that I didn't prep for because I didn't realize you were talking about black people. Sorry, man. All right, so we'll get to the okay. next super chat here. Um, this one is from Gabriel K. And he says, we are all Americans. You seem like a weak muscle, weak-minded individual. Who am I to say you can't serve? Question mark. I don't know. Who I that to say you too. can't serve. I imagine he's talking to you since you're the one saying people can't serve. Um, but... Um... No, it's not really that. I'm not trying to overcompensate. I'm not, um, I never claimed to be some like Chad tough guy. I'm just saying I want our military to remain the, uh, the strongest, most effectual force on the planet. And I don't think that we do it any favors when we're trying to uh, appease leftists all day. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Jordan that I want our military to also make, <coughs> excuse me, um, remain the strongest, most effective force on the planet. 
Um, one of the ways that we do that is by casting as wide a net as possible for recruits because we want to make sure that we're scouting everywhere we can um, for the best and the brightest. And I would hate to find out that we missed out on some of the best and the brightest because there's a population of people that we just said we're not going to take for no like justifiable But this is so disingenuous though because don't you think that America is inherently a white supremacist nation? No. No, I don't think I made that argument today. Did I make that argument and forget about it? You're you're dim soch. You're dim soch. Dem. I don't even know what dim soch. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure that's an opinion that's like (laughs) exclusive to like online Twitter lefties, mate. So you're okay. So so yeah, we're gonna get to the next super chat here. Well, okay, that's fun. All right, so it's just um, like you're standing up for this institution that's promoting things that you inherit that ostensibly you don't agree with i mean here's the thing right does the military do things i don't agree with absolutely right but, but that's like why more and more like ben shapiro quick and pithy, quick and pithy. so the military okay, okay sorry <laughs> all right it's all good i this guess these questions if you want yeah all right or something all right so all right, this so is uh, a super chat from rodent no last name thank for five dollars thank you and for your contribution, he says, or they say, if the point of the military is to kill people, how is that dif- different than murder? Um, Who's that referring to? <laughs> I don't think that was an attack on either of us. I think that's just a comment on the military yeah. as a whole. I guess so. So I would I, say, then, oh, go ahead, Jordan. Well, I would say that I'm not attacking the military as as existing. I'm I'm pro force. I think um, politics needs to have some kind of behind it and some kind of structure, whether it be the police, the military. I don't think either of us are arguing for the abolishment of police or military. Correct. Yeah, I would. Um, this is like just a personal conceptualization of the military. I'm not saying you have to think about it this way. Um, I forget who asked that question, but direct it at you. So like, for me, I don't really think of the military as a institution that whose purpose is to kill. Um, for me, the institution, the, the, the military's purpose is to be able to kill, right? Because it is the capacity to enact violence that gives them power, not the violence itself. And I think of the military as a means of securing uh, or maintaining like American sovereignty, as well as securing, um, or furthering like uh, liberal democratic goals like around the world. Like it's one of the means. It's becoming less and less relevant and effective at that as we move into a more globalized, more diplomacy-based world, but it still has its uses and it had its uses in the past. Gotcha, thanks for your answer. I think there needs to be a military. I just I just think it's, uh, it's end game needs to be pointed in the right direction. And I don't think pointing it at global homo is the right direction. That's what I'll, last thing I'll say. Gotcha. So this is our last super chat from Clever to Swear for $5. Thank you for your super chat. Jordan, this is attributed to you, Jordan. Jordan, you said you could entertain the idea for racially segregated units in the military on Twitter. Is this still the case now? Uh, yes, only because I'm looking at the studies um, that were given to, I forgot the last war that, that this study pertained to, but 
I want to say it was maybe the Korean War. It was basically the closest war to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And they pulled the soldiers and the infantry back then. And most black soldiers and most white soldiers wanted racially segregated units. So if there were a similar poll to come out now, I would be for it. It's not something that I would want to necessarily institute. But I do think that it would be interesting to see how that stat would play out now. And I'm actually very interested to see how the military would be in its current form in 2020 if we had listened to the soldiers back in 1961 or 1962. Because that is what most of them transracially wanted, was racially segregated units. And it's actually similar with public schools. Most Black people were not for forced busing, actually. Uh, which chatter asked that question? Can you read that name again? Uh, clever to swear for five dollars, and and the question was directed at Jordan, and he says, "You said that you entertain the idea of racially segregated units in the military or on Twitter. Is this still the case now?" Yeah. Um. So, okay. So you said the Jordan that the thing you looked at was from back near like Civil Rights Act, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, when I'm thinking about this, without like off the cuff without seeing any research or um, writing about it. Uh, my guess would be that the cure for doing this is that somebody in your chat, actually, in the modern, days, modern day debates chat mentioned this earlier, and I think they kind of hit it pretty close to home, which is that um, the contact theory that I bring up to help like uh, alleviate, uh, get rid of um, discrimination and whatnot through like people sharing like spaces. So, this works, but there is friction that occurs in that process, right? And depending on how severe the prejudice is, um, which back in the civil rights era, pretty severe. I think we all agree on that. Right. Um, it might be that that friction just isn't worth it, right? The level of like problems we're going to have through integrated units is just not worth it right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to have segregated units while we work on the issue through other avenues, right? Attack it from other angles back home and hopefully better things such that then we can have like integrated units, right? And that's that's pretty much what happened. Um, so I, I can't think of any reason why we would want to resegregate units in the now. That seems well, that's why, yeah, that's why I said that. I said I wouldn't, I wouldn't resegregate. Yeah, I was more talking I was, to the chatter, not you. I, I okay. But yeah, I wouldn't go through the, the painstaking process of, of resegregating. I think that's a little bit of nuance when it comes to racial division in the country. I'm not necessarily saying let's have the police come through and separate people by race what i'm saying is that people should be freely allowed to choose how they want to self-separate if they so choose to do so and i think increasingly what we're seeing is freedom of association for every racial group except for white people that's my take gotcha Thanks and i think that could be maybe another debate for another day but yeah so this, we're done with the Super Chats now. We thank everyone for their Super Chats. We have one question from the Crawdaddy29. So two parts. I guess it's more, more of a statement. The minority ruins it for the, for the majority. White, while those, sorry, not white, while those that are trans can serve because you can feel inside has nothing to do with your ability to off charlie <laughs> so that's what i what he wrote i don't i don't know what the second half of that question has to do with the first because 
but if what you're saying is that you should be able to serve regardless of how you feel inside, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> yeah, I disagree because the 83 <laughs> IQ person, the 83 IQ person probably thinks that they're 100 IQ. So if we were to take your your worldview, Trenton, that sure. 83 IQ yeah, person, what, and can, I know that we're getting off. Yeah, yeah we so. can insert the line I drew earlier. I think I've made a position clear on where I draw the line on that. Well, that's it, uh, everyone. So uh, I had a good a, time, guys. Great discussion. Great discussion. You guys want to end with any closing remarks? Go ahead. We'll shut her down after. If you guys have anything else to close her down with. Um, I, don't know, I think I got my closing remarks earlier. Just follow the evidence. If you want the evidence, let me know. I can link it again. Um, reject conspiracy because you're just never going to be able to get anywhere if you can't trust any empirical evidence whatsoever. Sorry. Well, it was a good talk, Triton. I think the... Uh... You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.